Happy New Year, and welcome back to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Uh, I was shocked when I found out we were working on New Year's, but here we are. Uh, Welcome, Andrew Harris, to the office, to the podcast. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Just happy to be cracking the whip on you uh, already so early in the year, first day of the year, and already making you work. I just don't like it. Well, actually, I do like it. I, I like doing the podcast. I like working, so I'm glad to be here. It's good to be here with you, sir. Um, today, we're going to talk, as we go into the new year, we're going to talk about new clients, new things. Um, so we're going to start with, we're going to do this in a Q&A format so that I'm going to kind of ask the questions and uh, Andrew Harris is going to answer predominantly. We may vary a little bit depending on, you know, kind of if one of us has something else to add. Uh but it's going to be, we're going to talk about a few things. One, if you are a someone looking to hire an, a, a defense attorney, uh, what you need to do, what you need to look for, questions you might need to ask. Uh, also, if you're an attorney who has potential new clients coming in, um, what, what you need to ask, what you need to be doing, what you need to be looking for in those initial conversations, initial consultations. And then finally, Excuse me, a little bit uh, about after that consultation, those first, uh, especially first few hours, uh, first few days uh, following uh, a new hire. Yeah. How's that sound for you? No, I'm, I'm loving it. I think this is great. Uh, kind of get to like the business side of, uh, of running our business Cause, here. Because we got business. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, and that's that's important to remember. Like, we do a lot. We provide a a huge service to our community and to our clients. But but really, to keep in mind that new clients may be the most important aspect of um, of our service. Um, and that may sound weird, but think about it: new clients coming in, hiring you, exchanging money that that allows you the ability to provide for your family, keep your office running. You know, you're a small business, probably. Um, if you're an attorney um, who, who's a, in solo practice, uh, so providing for your family, keeping the uh, the economic cogs rolling in your community, but also having those ha- having that that those new clients come in allows you to more effectively represent all of your clients, appointed and retained. Well, and in, in the criminal defense world, it is not. Well, if I'm selling cars, I may only sell you a new car every five or six years, but I but the but Jerry Chevrolet still wants that person to come buy that Chevrolet pickup from them every five or six years. They want repeat business. Right. Criminal defense attorneys Yeah, no, we don't really hope for repeat business. And it's not really how our our model is built. So so when we we say we want and need new clients, we're not trying to be um, uh, greedy. Greedy. We're not trying to look and say, "Hey, we want a lot of people to get in trouble." Uh, yeah, the reality right. is, is that most of the time we don't get repeat business. It's just not the way our business works. Yeah, like that, my repeat business, I like to think of in terms of I've done a really great job for you. We've gotten the case dismissed, and now you're hiring me. Um, for for an expunction, that's right. that's a that's great repeat business. That's the that's the type that we love to have. See, and I kind of call that follow up business. Follow up business. Well, that's probably a better way to to think about about but that. Anyway, so so Mr. Harris, the question, the first question, our opening volley, if you will, is that initial contact that's made 
someone calls your office uh, and they want to speak to you. They want to find out a little bit about what services they should expect from you. So you get that phone call, ring, 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 and you answer it, or your receptionist answered it, law office. Right. Tell, tell us what tell us what that new client should expect or or well, see in the, the, that inertial phone call. Yeah, you know, so when when anybody is calling my office, uh, for the most part, they're probably going to be pretty concerned, right? I mean, they've they've just been arrested, likely. Maybe they've bonded out. They you know they may have uh, maybe having a detective calling their house. I mean, any number of scenarios, but. They're generally calling my office with some pretty grave concern and pretty stressed out. So, uh, you know, whether it's me or my office manager taking that initial phone call, I just need to know, um, you know, full name, date of birth, um, charges that uh, that the that are pending, the county that those charges are pending. But I think it's the most important thing for potential new clients to remember and keep in mind is that whatever is asked of you, just be open and honest with that prospective attorney. It's very important that that attorney get as much information from you as you know it uh, up front so that you know they're not surprised when they sign on to the case and are digging around and maybe the facts of the case aren't as you uh, led them on, right? To, right, to and that, uh, Mr. Harith, are you trying to say that somebody who's calling would be deceitful or is it that sometimes they don't remember all the details or that there are just more than one side to a story? I think, I mean, yeah, there, there absolutely are more than one side to a story, but I think all of those can be true for in any number of circumstances. I, I think people try to present a rosier picture to an attorney, somebody they haven't met before, maybe even to their loved ones who have known them their entire life. Then I'd say maybe especially to my loved ones. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, uh, they've tried to present a rosier picture of what they're going through or maybe what they did. Uh, and that that is, you know, not purposely uh, deceiving anybody, but just maybe not be the entire truth. And so it's really important just to be uh, fully open and honest with your attorney. Your attorney, it, you know, whomever you're speaking to, if they're an attorney, they're not going to judge you. You know, this is stuff that we, you know, there is nothing that anybody could say to me that's going to shock me and nothing that anybody's going to say to me to make me think, you know, they're less of a person or make me work less hard for them. Um, and, and a lot of times this comes up when we're talking about criminal history. So, sure. So, do you want to, assuming I'm a new client, would you want to know my criminal history? I would want to know your full criminal history. And you're as probably going to ask me about know, that? I am absolutely going to ask you about that. Okay, so let, let's run a scenario um, that I've been caught, and again, this is a scenario, but I'm a new client, I've come in, and I've been accused of shoplifting from Walmart. Okay. Uh, so we're now to the point of you asking about a criminal history. Go ahead and ask me about my criminal history. Right. So, uh, Mr. Decker, how uh, has this ever happened before? Have you ever been convicted of anything in the past? I, I have never, ever been arrested for uh, theft of any sort. Okay, great. So let's talk about those other times you may have been arrested. So do you have what, any... What, what difference does that make? Right. So, um, you know, great question. The Code of Criminal Procedure does not discriminate on when it comes to enhancements. So theft is a great example, because if you do have prior thefts, those could potentially land you 
in a felony court, even if it's just a misdemeanor amount uh, that's being taken, right? So okay. that so that enhancement does it does it is very important that we know that you do not have any prior thefts because oh, that takes okay. away that enhancement. But they c- there are ways um, there are ways to enhance based off of uh, just any conviction, right? right? I mean, let's say you have. Um, you know, if you're charged with a felony and it doesn't, you know, felony drug possession, right? Third degree felony drug possession. Um, so you were caught with between one to four grams of a substance that's in penalty group one. And you have two prior felonies. None of those are drug related, but you, you know, unfortunately went to the pen for both of those at different times. Well, this is your third one. You're now looking at a habitual felony enhancement. Doesn't matter that those two other prior pen trips were not drug related and it doesn't matter that and this is me now responding uh not asking questions of an attorney it also doesn't matter that you were given good deals on those pen trips right five years seven years three years yeah i had to accept it because of whatever that does not it does not matter um and so it's important for attorneys to know the full criminal history simply because um, that gives us a full picture of um, of what we're dealing with, of potential enhancements. Um, it affects, you know, our assessment of a case. And we don't really want to wait until we receive that information from a prosecuting attorney. Uh, that's just, you know, not being caught off guard. That's being a diligent attorney. And to be honest, I'm going to run that criminal history myself. And I'd like to know up front um, instead of having to call that, that, you know, that client back in and say, look, you know, I didn't know about this, and so that changes my assessment of the case somehow. Of course. Okay. So, so again, this is a new client coming in, Mr. Harris. Why would they trust you with this information? They haven't hired you yet. This is just a consultation. Why, as a new client, would I trust you or myself as an attorney? Why would they trust us with this information? Yeah, so the attorney-client privilege still extends to a potential you know, a uh, potential hiring type relationship, even if you don't end up hiring that attorney, um, that attorney can't just turn around and spread that information that you've just told them all over the internet. They can't just call the prosecutor and say, hey, did you know uh, that, you know, Bobby Joe did this and that and he admitted it to me? Um, that is still covered under the attorney-client privilege. Okay. So good, good thing so far. Is it okay for that potential new client to bring questions to you? Oh, I prefer that they bring me questions. Uh, there's only so much that I can say if somebody says, hey, I've just been arrested for misdemeanor theft. It was basically shoplifting from Walmart. Well, okay. I mean, I can go through you know, the range of punishment on a class B and class A theft. I can look up their charge maybe. But I can't read minds. And so what is really important is to write down these questions that you have ahead of time. Um, because, you know, like Andrew, like, like you and I have discussed, it's kind of like going into a doctor's office. When I get, you know, that everything is good, my labs are okay for my doctor, and hey, we'll see you next year, I am so relieved that I just run out of the office, right? Like I, right. I, but I had questions to ask that doctor. Like I'm not sleeping well, or whatever the case may be. Right. And on the other end, if you come into the office, someone comes into the office, and we kind of tell them some bad news, or 
uh, we, we present them with some information that is hard to hear. Just like when you go to the doctor and you receive a diagnosis, it's hard to hear. You go into a bit of fight or flight. You suddenly start shutting down mentally and emotionally because you, you automatically have some defenses that, that are biological. So right. you don't hear what we're telling you. So not only write down the questions you have for us, but also be willing to write down. And if you think of a question later, write it down, call us up, let's go through it. Because exactly, we'll repeat it. And occasionally we're going to sound like we're annoyed because we answer a similar question for three other clients this week. Uh, but know that it's not personal. Know that that's more about that we feel like we've answered this question seven times. And we might have answered it two or three times for you. But ask it because you need to know because it's your case. It's your, uh, your That's rights. That's right. Yeah. This definitely needs to be a two-way street. Please ask any your attorney any question that you have. So it's a two-way street. What advice do you have for an attorney in that uh, consultation, in that initial call? You know, it's important to remember that we as solo attorneys are running a business. Um, again, we're, most of us are not out, uh, to, you know, with greedy intent, we really genuinely like helping people, but we are running a business. And because, uh, because we are running a business, we need to develop an intake process. We have to have a system for handling these phone calls as they come in. Um, and that system should be written down because, Hopefully your business is growing and you're expanding. Maybe you have to bring somebody on. And if you have a system written down, then training that person, that training, that downtime for training is going to be minimal. So um, my, my advice is to have this intake process written out. Uh, you need to have a list of, uh, of questions that you need to ask um, for just general questions, you know, name, date of birth, um, address, email address, phone numbers, confirm their contact information, the charge that they're in, the county uh, that they're pending, those charges are pending. Uh, yeah, I recently added emergency contact That's phone great. number. That's great. Because occasionally you get, well, we'll get to this later, I'm sure, but their number changes or you wrote it down wrong. You you completely just, yeah. or you can't read your writing later. Is that a three or a seven or a five? You're not sure. Exactly. You know. And that emergency contact person can go, yes, I can get a hold of him and have him call you back. Yeah, I mean, that that is great, too, because, you know, a lot of times those numbers are going to change, especially like, you know, representing younger individuals. They're going to change their numbers. They're going to change their address. So having that emergency contact information is is pretty key, actually. I'm going to add that to my to my list. Look at us learning things. I know. Um, so if they call, Andrew, do you recommend just, doing that consultation on the phone or do you think that it's better for him to come in or as the great attorney answer is does it depend it depends no and i've actually started letting the potential client dictate what they want if they want to meet me face to face absolutely we're going to schedule a consultation for as soon in the future as possible um if they you know kind of in the process of speaking with them if they're one of those individuals who uh, are just you know kicking tires um Maybe they've gone to court. They want a court-appointed attorney, but the judge has said, you need to go and, and talk with three different attorneys and get prices, et cetera. Um, in that instance, I know they're not really serious about hiring an attorney. I'll go ahead and just kind of give them a price over the phone. If they live out of town, I'll go ahead. We'll do the consultation right then and there uh, over the phone. Um, give them a price. Tell them what the payment plan is. 
um, all that. So it really, it does depend, although lately I've been moving more towards phone consultations than office consultations. Yeah, for me, I think it, I think that it depends is more about, <coughs> excuse me, we might have to edit that out, um, uh, is more about the severity of the charge um, yeah, and uh, what, well, when they call, do I have time to actually talk to them right now or do I need to say, hey, let's set up an appointment? Do they have time to talk to me right now? Um, you know, because if it, if it's shoplifting from Walmart or the DWI that we're not talking about in the new year, yeah. um, those probably 20 minutes on the phone, I'm going to know most of what I really need to know. And I'm actually looking them up online while I'm talking to them on the phone. I'm looking up their, you know, if I can see their charges yet, see their case yet. Um, it, it might be enough. Yeah. Absolutely, it might be enough. I, I recommend, I always recommend to people like, hey, why don't we come in and talk about it? And I've I actually have had many clients say, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm set. I know I want to hire you. Send me the contract. Send me the payment link. You know, we can do everything electronically these days. It's, it's yeah, beautiful. I, it's um, amazing how much I can do via email and online uh, from my desk. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, since I've started giving out prices over the phone and doing phone consultations, I don't think my business has hurt uh, at all. I don't think I'm losing clients. I don't. I think it's just another convenience uh, that I'm that I'm offering to my to my clients. So if somebody calls you and you've done a phone consultation, or they've even come in uh, and they've only talked to you, how do you feel about saying, "Hey, go get a second opinion"? I usually do that, anyways. I, if they're coming in for the first time. Um, and they've heard the price for the first time. They've met me for the first time. I usually say uh, or recommend that they talk with at least three attorneys total. Um, if they are not interested, I mean, you know, I, Andrew, I think you'd be kind of shocked to hear this, but people don't really like talking to other attorneys. I mean, that's shocking, right? Um, but yeah, because most of the time they don't want anyone else to know. They, well, yeah. You know, I, I think. That's part of it, but they also, you know, we have such a negative connotation um, <laughs> with being attorneys. But well, you have a negative connotation. I was speaking generally, okay. not oh. specifically. Okay, all right. But um, yeah, so so uh, I was shocked to hear that nobody. That, uh, rarely do people, you know, look forward to uh, going into an attorney's office, um, even if they're insistent. No, I've. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to visit with anybody else. I say, you know, well, I would recommend that, you know, we do have some time, maybe take the evening, think about it, call your family. And I've had a lot of people just say, no, can we just get this done yeah, right now? I've I'm done like, the same okay, thing. Sounds you know, good. I want you we'll to think it. about it. Call me in the morning. They're like, no, send me the link. Or, you know, what do I need to sign here in the office today? And, and yeah. that's great. As an attorney, if somebody comes in, I often ask them, who else have you talked to? Right. Me too. Um, yeah. And because we do practice in the same area, lots of times I get, well, I spoke with Andrew Harris, and it's not that you refer him to me, but they just went down to the next one on the line. And I'm like, hey, I know Andrew Harris. He's a good attorney. Yeah. Um, he and I have tried some cases together. We actually do a podcast together. I would not be offended if you hire him, but you're going to be better off hiring me. Well, yeah, I was going to say like, oh, you've spoken with Andrew Decker. Okay, great. Well, here's my contract and here's the payment link. <laughs> right, and, right. You know. Um, no, likewise, man. And I, and really, you know, and I would do that for basically any attorney. Exactly. And in, in our business, it's, it's really, in really any jurisdiction I've ever worked in, 
it's such a close knit community. Your name is is gold, right? I mean, like that is really your currency. And so if you get a reputation for bad mouthing other attorneys, that's not going to pay dividends. You know, they're not going to send you cases. They're not going to, they're, they're also in turn going to bad mouth you and it's going to hurt your business. So just keep in mind, uh, whenever you're talking with, uh, with some of these individuals, uh, these potential clients coming in. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. If, if you give me a name of an attorney and I don't know him, I'm going to say, I don't know if, uh, if I think they're a good attorney, and most of the attorneys I know, I think are good attorneys. Yeah. If they're not, I might go, I don't know that that'd be the right person for this case, but you're not going to hear me say, well, I think they're a terrible person or a terrible attorney. Right. It, th- th- those are very different questions. I, um, and, and really, I don't try to talk about uh, other attorneys much, period. I want I the conversation either. and the focus to be on me and what right. I can do for you. Right. Um, and so I usually get, you know, like, I don't think anybody in my county present company may be excluded, has Thank the you. trial experience that I have. So oh. so I try to, you know, lead with that. You know, I've been a prosecutor. I've been a civil attorney in, in jury trials. I've done, you know, however many trials as a defense attorney, et cetera. So I really try to speak myself, um, well, sell myself, as bad as that sounds, as opposed to talking down other attorneys. Um. So let's uh, let's move on. So you're going in to a to an office consultation with a you know to see to meet your attorney. Um, maybe think about like bringing some documentation. That's really important for that attorney to review everything. You want gonna want to bring you know your bonding paperwork. If you have any bond conditions, if the officer is giving you anything like you know we're not going to talk about DWIs so much, but they'll give you some what we call DIC twenty four and twenty five. That's going to be your temporary license. Going to be the rights that they read to you when they when they confiscated your license. Bring all of that to your attorney. Right. Have if you've gone through already a book in, you've been bonded out. Bring us your bond conditions. That's really important. Um, if you haven't yet, like you just find out there is a warrant, or a detective calls you and asks you, "Hey, I need to talk to you." Come talk to an attorney. We can help exactly. you do a walkthrough. We can help you get you know in and out of custody in most counties much quicker than if you just get stopped on the side of the road. Also, uh, we can help you decide if it is beneficial to go talk to that detective or if you would be much smarter not talking to that detective. Yeah, probably not talking to that detective would be my advice just generally, but it does depend. Right. It is on a case-by-case basis. I would say four out of five times where I've taken someone to talk to a detective it has been to my client's benefit. Yeah, um, I've actually had client detectives when I've called them and said, hey, I'd like to bring them in and talk to you because I think we have some information that's going to be important in your investigation. And they're like, we're not talking to him with, the, with their attorney. And I'm like, okay, then he's not talking to you. Yeah. Because... And that's great information <laughs> to bring before a jury later Right, on. right. You know, we offered to talk to you, didn't we? Yes. Um, anyway... So and, I, and that and that actually shocks me. But there are detectives out there, you know, that we know that we work with that that will say that, you know, f- straight out, straight up with us. Right. So, <coughs> so y- you know, the uh, again um, in your office consultation, just be upfront about your criminal history. Relate the facts of the event that you know that that maybe resulted in an arrest as fully and honestly as possible to the attorney, if you can remember them or from your side, that's fine. Right. So what promises are you going to make that potential new client? 
not I'm going to make very little promises. What uh, you know, some attorneys will say, and I've heard it. I've heard it said, um, "Look, if you pay me a couple grand, a couple thousand dollars, I'll uh, I can get this case dismissed." That is, if anybody's telling you that they're a con man, you need to call the state bar immediately. Um, the only promise that I do make to potential new clients uh, or even clients who have signed up is I will do everything in my power to get this case dismissed. I will do everything in my power if I can't get it dismissed to do the next best thing and the next best thing and the next best thing until we come to a resolution that the client's okay with, that the state's okay with, that the judge will accept. And if not, we're going to trial and I'm going to do everything I can in trial to have them found not guilty. So that's the only promise that I make to anybody. And, and really, I think any other promise just uh, puts you in, in the crosshairs of uh, violating the um, our, our state rules for professional conduct. Yeah. Even, even if we have a great case in front of us, even if we think that we can win, even if we think we can get a dismissal, and I say that, I'm going to say I think I can, but there are no guarantees. Why? Right. Because... I don't get to make that final decision. We've got a prosecutor uh, who who is thinking that there is something to move forward on, and then we've got a we've got a judge um, who That's gets right. to ultimately rule on basically everything. Yeah, uh, minus your actual guilt or innocence. So, um, so yeah, so so I think that's a great uh, a great caveat, right? Like, yes, I think there are looking at the facts of this case as I understand them. I think there are really solid grounds for a dismissal or a suppression or something along those lines, but I can make you no guarantees. In fact, that is actually a paragraph in my legal contract is we cannot guarantee any specific result uh, of your case. Right. I think that's smart. So tell me about your, what do you do for quoting a price? And I'm not going to ask you to quote prices on the air, uh, but what do you do? How do you decide? what to charge a new client. You ready for this? Yes. It depends. Shh. <laughs> okay. So <sighs> so really um actually it doesn't depend. I know how much of my time it's going uh to take to work out your run of the mill shoplifting case from Walmart. I know what my time is worth. I know how many times I'm going to have to go into court. Um and, and that's just after hearing the facts of the case from a client. So I have these set amounts these set figures in my mind that doesn't mean that I don't flex those one way or the other depending on certain information I receive from a potential client but I know generally the amount that I want to take in exchange for my representation on a case and that just comes with time you know I've started out really lowballing it because I, I just wanted the work and over time I've increased that there was a time when I was quoting too much and I brought those back down because I wasn't, you know, nobody was hiring me. Nobody wanted uh, or, or saw the value that I thought I was showing. Um, so it, it depends, but right now I kind of know, you know, if somebody calls in with a specific case, um, I know how much time that's going to take, how complicated those cases are. Uh, and for the most part, you know, if you're calling for a very serious felony, and I, and I give you a price, I will generally work on the terms of the payment plan, but not on the amount in total. I, I know exactly what that case is, is worth, in air quotes. Right. 
and and that's going to depend on the 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 severity the Absolutely. what what you as a potential client or as a client could potentially receive what you know is it a first degree is it a habitual uh, is it a third degree is it a misdemeanor all those things go into effect and then also if there are specific things in your case that we know are going to require more work right you know just because it's a second degree felony doesn't mean it's the same uh, if it's distributing uh, drugs or if yeah, it's like a burglary habitation or something, if, or if it's a burg hab or an assault with a deadly weapon, all those are second degree felonies, but they can come out very differently in oh, the yeah. amount of work and the emotional uh, tax it takes on us. It's right. Those are all things that factor into a potential quote. At least in my book. What about yours? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, the the timeline, like where the case is on the court's docket, if it's been filed yet, are we like a week away from trial? You know, that has happened. Do we have to go to court tomorrow? You right, know? yeah. Tri- uh, trial set next week, and, and you're now trying to hire an attorney because you don't like your court-appointed attorney. And, and I say that as someone who is a court-appointed attorney and Mr. Harris, a court-appointed attorney, the reality is probably your court-appointed attorney is going to do a good job and maybe just as good or better than any a hired attorney could do. Yeah, in most jurisdictions in the, uh, across the state of Texas, they these court-appointed attorneys have to be um, evaluated by the courts that are handing out these appointments, and they have to have meet a certain standard of experience. Um, and so that's why I think in, in any jurisdiction, your court-appointed attorney is generally going to uh, to be a pretty decent attorney. You just don't get to choose who that is. And some some people that, you know, that's a that's a big deal to them. Right. And there's a little less what I call hand holding. Okay, so right. you've you've signed up this new client. They've agreed to hire you. What should they expect after the consultation from their attorney? So the client, uh, the client's job is not done, right? They need to keep in regular contact with that attorney's office. And I don't think it's um, a lot to ask that the clients be given regular updates, right? Like, like that, uh, it, depending on where the case is um, in the filing process or in the court process, you know, that attorney is going to be working for you and should be giving you regular updates as they receive them, as they have information. But feel free, you know, I, I tell my clients all the time, look, if you just have a question, if you just want an update that's random, that's just kind of, you know, not tied to any court setting, just give me a call, send me an email. We'll, we'll let you know what's going on. And if that answer is, hey, we don't have an update for you, that doesn't mean that we're not working. That just means this is a long process. It can be complicated. There's a lot of um, you know, there's a there's a lot of things to take into consideration. It can be just that nothing new nothing has new come happened. to light yeah. since the last time we spoke. But that potent that new client does have a responsibility to keep my office updated of any change in their number, any change in their address. There are times where like cases drag on, and you know this, like they land on a court's trial docket. The trial docket's backed up. We're not going to be tried for six months to a year. During that six months. You know, you may not hear from your attorney, uh, but if you change your address, you change your phone number, you better call that attorney's office and update that information. Yeah, because if I reach out to you later and I can't find you, there could be a world of hurt for for you. I mean, it's going to be embarrassing for me, but it's going to be a world of hurt for you if you end up with a warrant 
as an absconder. That's right. You know, just because you didn't show up at the right time in the right court. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's something I include in my contract, something I go over with all of my clients. Um, even my appointed clients are, are told, ordered by the court to remain in contact with their attorney. But I tell all my clients, look, if I if you don't update your number with me and I need to get a hold of you at some point in time, I am going to withdraw from that case. I mean, there, there's just not worth it to me to like keep trying to locate you if, if you're not willing to keep me uh, updated with your right, address. Right, because if, if we're reaching out to you as a client, we're trying to do something. We're trying to either, we, we've, we've reviewed evidence and we realize there's a question or, hey, we, we need to, to talk about, is there a plea that needs to be done because we've reviewed the evidence and it's not good? Um, there are lots of reasons why we, we might need to contact you. And if you don't contact us, we can't do our job. Yeah, fair. is that a fair way to put it? That's exactly right, and uh, and I just can't stress that enough. Like, just remain in contact with your attorney's office. I mean, you paid the money, right? You may may as well get the benefit of their representation. Um, and so that's a like I said earlier, that's a two way street. You need to be, um, you know, you need to be in contact with your attorney's office, uh, so they in turn can. Do you, do you think those new clients should expect uh, to receive your your personal cell phone text message ability, or uh, do you think that that's that's maybe crossing a personal boundary? I at some point in time, I think it was early on um, when I had my firm open, I was um, handing out my personal information, uh, personal cell phone number to clients, and would get text messages and. What I found was I would receive a text message and think, oh, okay, you know, Mrs. Smith needs me to follow up on the occupational. And unfortunately, that would be, that would just like go in one ear and out the other. There's no like accountability with my text messages. What I much prefer now is just my clients to email me directly, right? It's my, my website, my firm's uh, web address, uh, email address. It comes directly to me like a text message does. And I can put follow-up reminders on there. Um, it's it's a little bit easier to do that than add a follow-up reminder or a reminder on my iPhone for text messages. So I think it's a little. I think it's better for me to have that boundary. Keep my my clients contacting me through a professional email address that comes directly to me, rather than my personal cell phone number. Well, part of what I love about the email is is that if I've responded and I feel like that email's finished, I then hit print. And the print option gives me save as PDF. I literally put it in their electronic file and delete the email. So like if I'm done with the email, I now have it in a PDF form in their file. So I know that I read it. I know that I answered it or I responded to it. I put it in my notes and it's in the file and I can delete it off my email and I'm finished with it. If it's in my text message, I kind of always are kind of going occasionally going back and going, did I do, did I do that? Well, I can't move that into my electronic file nearly as easy. That's genius, actually, because I, I uh, I'm starting to move my firm over more and more to electronic uh, filing type system, and, and uh, I think that's a fantastic idea to do that. You're welcome. Look at all these things I'm learning on this episode here. Look at it. All right, so, so last question. You're the new attorney, and Mr. Harith, you're a good attorney, so I know you're going to be able to answer this question. What does the <laughs> attorney need to do 
especially in the first 24 to 48 hours following that consultation. Yeah, okay, so uh, assuming that you have signed As- up. Assuming you've, hi- you've been hired. Yeah, so, so they've given you money. They've signed the contract. I mean, you can't just sit on that. You've got work to do. So You mean I'm not done? I can't just take the money it. and go no, home? No, 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 uh, no. Well. There, there in the past have been too many attorneys who have done that and given us all a bad name. So I know uh, for the most part all of the defense attorneys that I know and work with are very diligent, uh, very hardworking, professional people. Um But first thing, and I try to do this immediately, is get a letter of representation in. You want to file that with the district or county clerk. You want to file that with the DA's office or the county attorney's office. Um, Remember to include a request for discovery. Uh, And why why is that important, Mr. Decker? Well, because that timely request for discovery becomes a way for you as the... Shocking. That was literally a shocking experience. Um, (laughs) These microphones are not grounded, evidently. (laughs) Um, uh, Is that timely request for discovery under 3914 of the Michael Morton Act is the DA's notice to provide us with discovery, to provide us with the charge, provide us with the evidence, to provide us with any um, videos, uh, witness statements, etc., so that we can then go through and talk to you, our client, about what the overall charge is. Now, I want to give you a little a little reminder, Andrew, uh, that that timely request can happen at any point. But the release right. of discovery under 3914, the case law has said that basically, if it hasn't been filed in court, either an indictment in a felony court or a complaint in a misdemeanor court, that the DA or the county attorney does not have to provide that discovery. And I know some of our our colleagues, our brothers and sisters in the defense world, occasionally get riled up about that because often we get it pretty early. The, yeah. the county attorney and district attorney are, are willing to provide us with most of that as soon as it's available. But sometimes it's a question of jurisdiction. Sometimes it's a question of the sensitivity of the case. Yeah. Um, but they're supposed to provide it uh, once that case has been filed, once there's under jurisdiction of the court, they're supposed to provide us with all of that information uh, basically as quickly as po- as reasonably possible. It's still best practices to go, just go ahead and request that. I, you know, and some, some attorneys will have a separate request for discovery listing out, you know, 25 things that they want. Um, I just have a little, uh, you know, just a little sentence or two in my letter of rep uh, requesting all the pertinent discovery. Um, and I think that suffices. Um, yeah, I, I've I've not had a uh, prosecuting office not provide something because I didn't list it out specifically. Um, right. There have been things I've learned about later that I then did say, hey, I need this piece of information. And it may have not necessarily been about my guy, but it was relevant to the witness or a witness statement or a co-defendant statement that I really needed the actual recording, not just a synopsis of what the statement was. But that, but that's rare. And yeah. once you file it, they generally give it to you. It's not, it's not a big deal. But if you read your stuff, you're going to realize you're missing something. Right. Yeah. And so this is really, you know, a bunch of this stuff is, uh, is just CYA. Uh, professionally here. Um, you know, uh, also some other time sensitive things. We're not talking about DWI, but you want to get your ALR request in. Um, You've got 15 days. 15 days from the date of arrest, including weekends? Including weekends and holidays. Okay. So that is 15 days straight 
Um, no so, like, if you got arrested on the 20th of December, you've got to count the weekends, you've got to count Christmas, you've got to count New Year's, all those days count. So, you go to the 31st of December, that's 11 days, so you then have to the 4th of January, and you may not have even been thinking about it because you're just trying to get through the holidays and you've got to get those things. In and make sure that's file. in before that 15th day. If the 15th day is like a weekend, you may be SOL. Right. Yeah. So turn it on the 12th day. Yeah. Right. Um, so that that's just something like you need to get to work. You may not be able, like Andrew was saying, to be entitled to the discovery. You can file open records requests, Freedom of Information Act requests to proper authorities to get some some information ahead of time. Um, also, some attorneys file batch motions at the, you know, at the uh, initial when they're filing their letter of rec uh, representation. I don't. Um, it may not be that big a deal. You know, like a 404B notice um, uh, motion uh, for exculpatory evidence. Some of that stuff may be unnecessary, but it's something that could probably be filed on every single case. Sure. Some of those things are beneficial, uh, but generally... I want to get that information and then uh, then look at it and see if I need to file a motion to suppress or a 404B or a motion in limine, uh, depending on exactly. what I actually see. Yeah, w- depending on what the case calls for. Exactly. Well, uh, w- we've run a little bit longer than expected, uh, but the new year, the new client, uh, it's an exciting topic for us. Uh, we hope you do not have to become a new client in this new year, but as we're signing off, I uh, want to remind you that you can review us on uh, iTunes or on Google. You can also go on our webpage, Andrew, or sorry, the webpage is texascrimdefense.com, and you can reach Andrew Harith or myself, Andrew Decker, there. Uh, also, feel free to find us on our Facebook page uh, where you can send us a message directly. We would love to hear from you. Give us ideas for a program, ideas for a guest, uh, ideas for a topic. Uh, that'd be beneficial to us and hopefully beneficial to you. So anything else you want to add, Mr. Harris? I think that wraps us up, y'all. Thank you very much and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.